0: Hello, on the chance, I'm getting a couple Baltimore-oriented folks listening to this. Congrats on the success of your team in 1970. This podcast episode is a supplement to a blog post about the 1970 Orioles, which I have on my Morris Of Course blog site. Morris is in Minnesota. And of course, we cheer the twins. In 1970, our team won the West, Baltimore won the East, and then Baltimore manhandled us in the playoffs. It was just the second year of the East-West playoffs in big league ball. In the first two years, the Orioles were matched against my twins and the outcome was the same. The Orioles swept us. So, all hail the 1970 Baltimore Orioles with the Robinsons, Frank, and Brooks. Quite a stable of talent, quite the superb pitching staff. I shall now read from the old Roger Angel book, The Summer Game. These paragraphs are how he reflected on the 1970 World Series. It's an old book and it would be considered rather tame and superficial by today's standards. Today we need behind the scenes intrigue, don't we? I guess that started with Ball Four by Jim Boughton. I shall now recite Angel's writing. So close your eyes and imagine you're back in 1970. I was 15 years old old, ah, adolescence, here we go. All of us, I think, had been waiting through the summer for this series and for the collision of these two enormous teams. Both had utterly flattened the opposition in their divisions, holding first place unchallenged after April. The Reds, three sluggers, Perez, Bench and May had combined for 119 home runs, a total six entire teams failed to reach this year, and 371 runs batted in. Bench, the Reds' leader, and at 22, already one of the finest catchers in baseball history, had led both leagues with 45 homers and 148 RBIs. Against this, the Orioles could offer Boog Powell, 35 homers, the two famous Robinsons, three 20-game-winning pitchers, Quayar, McNally, and Palmer, and a hovering, almost visible, smolder of resentment over the team's unexpected beating by the Mets last fall. The opener, back at Riverfront Stadium, brought the expected early clang of armor, a Lee May homer and three quick Cincinnati runs, which were instantly won back on homers by Powell and Elrod Hendricks, the Baltimore catcher. It was still 3-3 in the bottom of the sixth when Lee May, leading off, rifled a hard grounder to left. Brooks Robinson, the Orioles' 33 year old perennial third baseman, leaped to his right, speared the ball cross handed just above the base, and whirling and throwing in the same instant, let go a fall away peg from foul ground that got to first on the bounce and still nipped the runner. This wonder, not an unexpected wonder for those of us who remembered Robinson's play in last year's series, saved a double and made possible the famous and disorderly scene that now began after Bernie Carbo walked and was singled to third. Ty Klein, pinch hitting, chopped at a Jim Palmer pitch and bounced it high in the air, directly in front of the plate Hendricks stepped forward, waiting for the ball to descend, and Carbo suddenly and foolishly set sail for the plate. Home plate umpire Ken Burkhart, apparently forgetting all about the base runner, stepped forward to see if the ball would come down fair or foul. And Jim Palmer, approaching from the mound, had an incomparable view of the ensuing carnage. Well, that gives you a taste. That's the end of the quoted material I shall share here. Yes, you never know what will happen on each pitch. That's a charm of the game. I'm recording this in July of 2020, when of course we have no normal baseball season, not even close. My gosh, we can wax nostalgic, can't we? We can pray for our normal world to return. Take care for the remainder of the summer of 2020. God bless our nation's pastime. And once again, congratulations on all of the Orioles' success, which covered a span of years back in my adolescence and my young adult years. Left quite an impression. It was quite a ball club. Earl Weaver was... um, Quite a spirited manager. He left an impression too. Good day.